from the game that we'll always remember to the game we would very much like to forget. Rangers get absolutely blown out in game two of the World Series. We're going to talk about what went wrong and why there are actually a little bit of hope, signs of hope for the Texas Rangers moving forward in this series. All that and more on this episode of Locked On Rangers. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Rangers, your daily Texas Rangers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are locked on to the Texas Rangers. I'm Bryce Patrick, a cripplingly addicted Texas Rangers fan covering this team for 10 seasons, including all five as the founder and host of Locked On Rangers. Thank you all so much for making Locked On Rangers your first listen every single day. If you're not already, you can follow me on Twitter at Bryce Patrick. You can follow the show at Locked On Rangers. The best way you can help grow the show is to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or YouTube and listen every single day and comment nearly any single thing below. This was an absolute stinker of a game nine to one the rangers lost they did not make it close it was close for the majority of this game but i mean the story of this game how can you start with anything but merrill freaking kelly an enemy number one of the state from guy who i knew basically nothing about to the most hit man i've the most i've hated a man since david freeze i think uh in rangers postseason history not really i mean like merrill kelly's got an awesome story he was just absolutely sensational in this one and at this point, at a game like this, like this was honestly one of the greatest pitching performances I think I might have ever seen. Like, yes, there was a bit of a generous zone. And yeah, that helped him out a little bit more than it did the Rangers. But the man just hit his spots. Like every single time out, this man just hit his spots. And even on the home run that he gave up to Mitch Garver, that was a sinker down and in off the plate and inside. It was not a strike. And Mitch Garver just took it and hammered it because he absolutely crushes fastballs. And you, know, you got to tip your cap to Mitch Garver at that point. But that was the only run that the Rangers scored in this game. And it wasn't like there was a whole lot of traffic on the base pass either. I mean, the Rangers had 10 walks in game one. They had one in this one. And it was at the very end of the game, of course. It was by Adoles Garcia, the guy who was not walking at all in this postseason until game one. And now two walks in two games. Look at world. He is on a walking roll. But this was just an absolutely sensational game by Merrill Kelly. He was just painting. He executed his pitches. And even though he was given a generous zone, he didn't make mistakes. And you know, even if you're given a generous zone, you take advantage of it. I mean, he, he did. He very much did. And he didn't have like any mistake pitches in this game, which is just crazy. This offense is so good. We saw what they did yesterday. We saw what they've done all postseason. And to make zero mistake pitches is just honestly absolutely incredible. Three hits, one and run, off the homer, zero walks, nine strikeouts, and the moment of the game was just him getting out in this game after the seventh inning. I mean, he probably could have gone for the eighth. He maybe could have gone for a complete game and saved the bullpen entirely. But, I mean, at, at that point, I mean, the D-backs had poured Boron, and Montgomery just wasn't himself. He wasn't his same self in this one. Montgomery's velocity was down, but I, I felt like everyone was talking about how, oh, my God, actually, actually, you know, Jordan Montgomery really just sucked so bad in this one. I mean, he didn't have his best game, but he did what good pitchers do, and he battled through. I mean, he ended with a line of six innings, nine hits, four runs. All of them earned one walk, zero strikeouts, and one solo home run. 
to, of course, Gabriel Moreno, a guy who absolutely crushes lefties and crushes everybody this postseason, having a fantastic postseason and stealing a lot of strikes for his pitcher and calling a fantastic game and had a sensational game. And it was two runs that he had allowed through six innings, and the Rangers let him go back out there for the seventh and gave up a couple of hits and wasn't able to get an out. And then in comes Andrew Heaney, and he lets a couple of runs score and or a run score, and Dane Dunning comes in and, and walks a guy and this the bullpen that had held up spectacularly in game one the underside of the bullpen that held up spectacularly in game one did not do so again in this one got a run allowed from chris stratton got four runs allowed from martin perez we kind of see why oh i guess this is why martin perez wasn't pitching this one but but monty going six innings after an 11 inning game and that was you know monumental work for him yeoman's work for him I mean, he was just he was just dealing, I mean, or getting weak contact and you know, getting some kind of blue pits. He wasn't like absolutely destroyed and he was getting outs. I mean, he even got a huge, huge out that I thought would be much more of a big deal in the sixth inning to get him out of that inning when he did have runners on base, which is something that Nathan Evaldi didn't do well, which he had done well in the entire postseason, but he did not do well in game one of this World Series was work around traffic. Um, but I mean, getting that pickoff of Tommy Pham, which, my God, what was Tommy Pham thinking in that instance, getting picked off like that? And uh, the the replay from, I believe it was a pitcher's list that we, or Pitching Ninja that was tweeting out the, the very subtle pickoff uh, sign from Jonah Heim, which is just pointing over and over again, just like, look, 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 go get him. He's tipped off way too much. And uh, Monty executing perfectly and getting him out. Um, and it wasn't particularly close, but I, I thought this was going to be, I was going to be a lot closer than it was. And, and for the most part, this game was close. It was until the end that this thing got broken open. I mean, Rangers have suffered some heartbreaking losses. This, this was not that. Thankfully, this was not that the Rangers have had their fair share, more than their fair share, honestly, of heartbreaking losses. And, uh, this one didn't really break your heart. Just kind of pissed you off a little bit. <laughs> it really did. I mean, at some point, you just got to tip your cap to Merrill Kelly. You got to tip your cap to this offense. This is why this team is here. Six for 14 with runners in scoring position is what the Arizona Diamondbacks did. The Rangers were 0 for 1. They had one opportunity with runners in scoring position, and it came in the ninth inning, I believe the final at-bat of the game. Um, and, of course, it did. And the Rangers were not able to take advantage of him, able to get any traffic on the base pass. We're not able to get any walks. And... um yeah, it was just a masterclass by Miro Kelly. And you know what? Sometimes these things happen. Sometimes in a series, you go up against a guy and there's just not a darn thing you can do. And I don't think these were particularly horrible at bats by everybody involved. I really don't. Sure, they weren't the best. Sure, they could have maybe fouled off some more pitches. But I mean, the way Miro Kelly was dealing... There wasn't much more they could do when you're kind of not getting any runners on base, when you're not getting any walks, when you're not getting any hits at all. It's hard to drive up that pitch count and get this guy out of there. I mean, that was the goal is once you saw the kind of run that he was on, it was like, oh, boy, um, let's see if we can get this guy out of the game a little bit sooner. And they couldn't. And it was the same thing for Jordan Montgomery. This Arizona Diamondbacks offense was aggressive early. They were swinging very early in counts and getting a lot of weak contact early. And that's why Montgomery, 
even though he threw six innings and you know pitched a little bit in the seventh, he only had 75 pitches. He just looked like he was a little gassed. He's thrown a lot of innings this year, and I feel like a lot was being made of, oh, he he threw like 30 pitches on his normal bullpen day um, and had an extra day's rest in games. Like now he has an extra day's rest, day's rest from game seven. And it's like, I don't think that caused as big of as much of an issue. I really think that like, it's, it's just, he's kind of exhausted. I think it's more of a cumulative workload than it was um, the one game of game seven. And he's pitched a lot of innings this year. I mean, to be specific, he pitched 188 in the regular season. And then um, if we look in the postseason, uh, where'd we go? Um, it's been more than that. Not, not more than that, but it has been, uh, in addition of 31 innings. So he's at 220 ish innings right now, um, which the most he threw in the postseason, any postseason was a four inning start in 2020. That was the most he'd thrown in any postseason. He had one outing with the Cardinals in 2022 of two and two thirds innings. Um, but for the regular season, he has not had huge workloads. I mean, he had 170 innings last year between the Cardinals and the uh, Yankees as well. And he only had one. We actually hadn't had any season before that of more than 160 innings. So this is, this is a big workload on Jordan Montgomery. And you remember from a lot of times in regular season, and even during his starts in the postseason, he doesn't usually throw a hundred pitches. He's usually, they're usually pretty careful of like 90 to 95 pitches, sometimes 85. And that's, that's why they pulled him in that eight inning game in Phoenix during the regular season was because it's like, okay, well, the Rangers have a one run lead. Let's throw all this Chapman out there in the ninth inning. Surely bad things won't happen. Well, bad things happened. And uh, yeah, bad things happened for this offense when Merrill Kelly was on the hill. Coming up, we're going to look at why this offense struggled so much besides just Merrill Kelly being great and a little bit of some good news, maybe some positive things to spend forward because this was an absolute stinker right after this word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. If you want to bet on the Cowboys this Sunday to... Um, do some things, then you could definitely go and do that. If you want to bet on some Rangers stuff for game three in this world series, Max Scherzer versus Brandon Fott, you could go do that at FanDuel. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Shout out to the everyday just making Locked On Rangers your first listen every single day. I think I'm going to wait and maybe do a, a mailbag tomorrow. We'll see how we're feeling um, heading into this weekend if we get some good mailbag questions. Or maybe we'll just be live after Game 3 of the World Series where the Rangers take on the Arizona Diamondbacks. You can catch every pitch of the hometown broadcast on SiriusXM. Just download the SXM app and search Rangers. Now, this was a rough day for the Rangers offense. And like I said earlier... This umpire had a very generous zone. It felt like it wasn't particularly even in Quinn Walcott, who is you know generally regarded as one of the best, most fair officiate uh, uh, ball and strike call umpires. Um, but this was just not his best game. And the Rangers 
did not get the benefit of the doubt on a lot of calls. And normally it is it, it always, this is, this is still definitely peak loser energy for me. of just nitpicking the balls and strikes, but this Rangers offense, their, their win and loss record is there's a lot of things that, that can go against them. If the balls and strikes are not headed their way. I and mean, we saw them work 10 walks last night and the margins of the strike zone are so important to this team. They're important to every team, but this team, especially a team that is this patient, that is this good at taking pitchers like a Merrill Kelly, like a, well, literally any pitcher and forcing them to be absolutely perfect. And in games like this and to stay like right on the edges of the zone, because it's even a little bit outside the zone, which to be fair, Merrill Kelly kind of was. He had some, again, a expanded zone. And when those calls go against them, this team can struggle hitting-wise. It is one of the few things. It's forcing these pitchers to be perfect, to pass the baton. That's why this offense has success. But sometimes when they get a zone like this and a pitcher like this, in this kind, on this kind of another celestial plane, like Merrill Kelly was tonight, it's hard to do much of anything against him because... This team was not swinging at good pitches. When the zone is expanded, then you have to expand and you have to swing at worse pitches. You make weak contact. And if you're not striking out, then you are just, you know, popping balls up or you're grounding them weakly into the dirt and you can't get much of an offense going anyway. I mean, that's kind of what happened tonight to this Rangers team when they aren't able to work walks, when they aren't able to drive up the pitch count of these starters. I mean, Merrill Kelly threw 89 pitches in seven innings. 89 pitches in seven innings. He was cruising through this one, and the Rangers couldn't do much of anything. And sometimes, again, it's hard to overanalyze more of this. It's just that's what happens. That's the way baseball goes sometimes. And when you're having to use the underside of this bullpen, especially it looks a lot more lopsided than it was. I mean, Montgomery, if they had just pulled them after six innings and they had gone with more of the A side of their bullpen, it was a two run game or a one run game at that point. It was a two to one game and it could have looked entirely differently. But having an 11 inning game the night before, which you did win in dramatic fashion, um, did tax the bullpen a little bit. Some of these guys were a little taxed and Heaney and Dunning. They were fine. They only threw two thirds and one third of an inning respectively. Stratton, you weren't able to get the best out of him. And Martin Perez, when he came in, he was just not great. I mean, this is, this is not a helpful pitcher at this point, which breaks my heart to say, I was so excited to see Martin Perez just in the world series at all. After all he's been through, after all of the shtick that he's gotten. And it really, it really breaks my heart because Martin Perez was so incredibly good last year. And he reminds me so much of Jordan Montgomery. They're both guys who get weak contact. They're lefties. They're crafty. They know exactly what they're doing. And there's a lot of variance with them. There is a lot of room for up and down. And this year, for whatever reason, Martin Perez was just down and he was down for most of the year, he had a couple of really good starts, but for the most part, he was just not the same consistent pitcher that he was last year. I, I don't know what it is. I honestly have no idea if I did then I would probably be an MLB pitching coach and I would be getting paid a lot more money and I wouldn't be sitting here podcasting tonight. I would be analyzing the film and breaking it down, but I'm not that smart. Unfortunately, I wish I was, or maybe I don't, 
I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot of brain power. A lot of a lot of responsibility that I don't know if I'm ready for. But Martin Perez just does not have it, and as a frustrating outing to see at this Rangers offense. Maybe they could have rallied a bit. I mean, it's not like they were just making weak contact. I mean, late in this game, the Rangers were making loud, hard contact in that eighth inning. They had three outs, three hard hit balls, perfect inning where Nathaniel Lowe grounded out on a 107.9 mile an hour ground out with a 600 expecting batting average. Then up comes Josh Young, 95 miles an hour off the bat, ground out, 380 expecting batting average. Then up comes your nine hole hitter. You think, okay, well, surely the Rangers won't get babbled to death three straight times in a row. You'd be wrong. You would be wrong. 103.8 miles an hour off the bat. A 530 expecting batting average in that one. For the game, the Rangers had four hits and a 258 expecting batting average. Now, I'm no math wizard, but I know however many at bats it takes to get 27 outs and four hits um, and one walk and four hits. That does not add up to 258. That, that is significantly lower of this team getting absolutely Babbitt. There is also two more incredibly Babbitt bad luck ones, including Mitch Garver's final out of the inning uh, or of the game, 104.4 miles an hour off the bat, 560 expected batting average, Corey Seager, 102 off the bat, 520 expected batting average. I mean, it was just all over this game. A lot of hard contact that didn't go their way. The home run by Garver um, and a fly out by Nathaniel Lowe later that inning that looked like it could have been a home run. It's a 780 expected batting average, 103.6 off the bat and a home run in three parks. Um, of course, they would be uh, Boston, uh, Wrigley, and City Field, but unfortunately, not this one, which is really all that matters. The Rangers were not quite able to get it done in this one. Just a frustrating, mind-numbing day coming off of the win of a lifetime. And I thought that, you know, surely this, this, you know, 11th inning walk-off home run win, you know, a, a game that their bullpen blew, which their bullpen hadn't blew a single game in this postseason. I mean, when they were up two runs, it was automatic for these D-backs. And to see them come back, which it kind of felt like they would because that's what they've done. That's been their MO. That's why they're here. To see them come back after that and not just win, but end up on the right side of a freaking beatdown is uh, incredibly impressive a huge hat tip to these Diamondbacks. They're not going to make it easy. I wish they would be very kind of them to the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex to the Texas Rangers organization that has not won a championship to say, Oh, we've won a championship. You know what you got? You guys could have this one. <laughs> That's not how baseball works. Unfortunately, it is a fraternity that is uh, not that generous to each other. Everyone wants to win. Everyone deserves to be here in the championship. Um, and this team is incredibly mentally strong, just like the Texas Rangers are. They're not going to take this one lying down. They are not going to just roll over and uh, roll into Phoenix and be like, Meh, actually, we had a good run and beating the Astros was enough for us. No, it wasn't. This team is not done yet. And they definitely have some signs of promise. Going to look into what went right for this team moving forward. Right after this word from our sponsors. Shout out to the Aviators making Lockdown Rangers your first listen every single day. On Tuesday's show, I'll be live yet again on YouTube right after game six, five. Yes, that'll be no four. 
whatever. <laughs> I don't know what days of the week are or numbers are, but I'll be live after every single game of this World Series, however long it goes. And you can catch every pitch of this World Series on the Sirius on uh, World Series on the Sirius XM app. Just download the SXM app and search Rangers. Now, this was a rough one, no doubt about it, for the Texas Rangers. But, hey, getting six innings out of Jordan Montgomery bodes very well for this team moving forward, having to only use Andrew Heaney, Dane Dunning, Chris Stratton, Martin Perez. Bodes well for this team moving moving forward. Not having to use any of the A-tier bullpen guys. Not having to use Jose LeClerc after he threw about 27 pitches, I believe it was, in game one and went two innings. Stretch-free innings, but still two innings. And they still haven't thrown Chapman or spores, even though Chapman has warmed up twice in two games. So those things bode well for the Rangers. And what does not bode well is going off of this offensive game that was an absolute dud. And the guy who they're facing on the hill in Brandon Fott has been very good this postseason. He has been very good this postseason. And opposite him is Max Scherzer, who has been less than good in this postseason. One might even say bad. One should say bad because he has been he has been bad, but he has also been hurt. He has also had two starts that have basically been rehab starts. And it's Max Scherzer versus Brandon Fott. I know recency bias is, is tempting. I know that, you know, logic says, oh, the old hurt guy is probably going to be bad. And the young rookie who was had a lot of promise and has been pretty good over the last couple of weeks might continue to shove. But it's Max Scherzer versus Brandon Fott. Why are we overthinking this so much? I feel like a gem from Max Scherzer is coming. I really do. It would be very fitting for Scherzer to come out there and look absolutely sensational. Go out there and throw like six innings of one or two run ball. Not like a perfect game or anything insane like that, but just a solid start out there to get this Rangers team back in it and to have this offense hit well on the road when it hits first. I mean, this Rangers team at home, doesn't usually hit well in the first inning, I feel like. But on the road in this postseason, they've been much better about early offense. And there's just something about jumping on the home team early. When you get a run or two runs or four runs or a bajillion runs in the first inning. And that team is already down before they even have a chance to step up to the plate. That is a huge huge mental advantage for your starting pitcher and for the rest of your team. There's a reason this team is undefeated on the road in the playoffs. It's because they're really good at it. They have done it for most of this playoffs. This is the first time that they have home field advantage in any series. Of course it comes in the world series. It's a, they were on the road for both games in the wild card series. They were on the road for the first two games out of three against Baltimore. They were on the road for the first couple games against Houston where they took both of those. And then coming back after those brutal three home games, they took game six and game seven on the road. This team has not lost a road postseason game. And I'm really hoping that trend continues because if it does, then my prediction of Rangers in six will be wrong. It will be Rangers in five, which would be amazing. I would take that. I would like to be wrong. I was wrong in, in the first series uh, or in the ALCS. I said Rangers and, and five. Um, I would like to swap that out and, and have Rangers and five be accurate this time. Rangers and six Rangers. And seven, I don't care. Just just freaking win the thing. Just win the thing, because these are two incredibly talented teams that 
are so good at taking these gut punches, at taking these losses like this, getting kicked in the nards, in the spleen, getting shivved in the shin and coming right back and saying, you know what, I'm fine. That didn't hurt actually that bad. And now I'm going to go do that to you. And it's going to hurt you much worse. That is why these two teams are the ones left standing in this brutal MLB postseason tournament. They have weathered the blows. They have suffered the slings and arrows of defeat in heartbreaking ways time and time again. And again, I hope every single person who was heading into this World Series saying, first off, this wouldn't be compelling. Heck with those people. Then second off, the people who said these teams aren't actually that good. Those people are absolutely looking like buffoons now. Yeah, the Diamondbacks won 84 games in regular season. But they're not that team anymore. They're not that team. Brandon Fott was pretty terrible in most of the regular season. A little better in the second half. He was fine. Mid fours ERA. Not great. If that's your number three and that team made the postseason, you think, huh? How'd they do that? But in the postseason, he's been on another level. I'm hoping that he can return to more of the regular season, Brandon Fott. That would be uh, super swell. I would really appreciate that of him, uh, for him to just go ahead and revert back to the old form. Be back to the old me. Lord, forgive me. I'm back to the old me. I'm hoping that Brendan Fott is saying that after game three. And uh, I didn't mean that to rhyme, but it did. Um, so, yay me, my poet or something. I don't know. <laughs> this is a rough one. Just grasping at straws at this one, honestly, because this was this was the worst this team has been beat. They were beat by the Astros in a lot of close games. Those are the only other games that this team has lost in the postseason. In case you forgot, they were undefeated heading in there, and I, I wish that this team had just stayed undefeated the entire way. But, you know, that's not really the way baseball go. You face some other good teams as you get in the later rounds. You don't get to face off against those those scrubs of 99 win Rays and 101 win Orioles. Yeah, now you got to suffer through the 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 mediocre 90 win Astros and the allegedly terrible 84 win Diamondbacks who might be the Rangers toughest challenge yet. I know those Houston Astros took the Rangers to seven and the Diamondbacks might do that too. But I think this D-backs team might be the Rangers toughest challenge yet. But I'm glad we're still here in this uh, mutual respect phase of uh, Rangers and, and Diamondbacks. Still, still very nice, cordial World Series. There's no there's no utter villains. There's no um, I mean, I mean, Adoles has been hit by a pitch uh, in the hand, clearly unintentional, but th there's not as much of the uh, angry name calling nonsense that was happening. In the other rounds it was just kind of exhausting. And I think would have exhausted everybody if it went on through the world series, but this is a tough fought series. And it really, one of the other things that kind of changed on ahead with the way the Rangers used their pitching staff in this, in this game and in the game before is who's going to pitch game four it looked like a clear choice before the series. It was going to be Andrew Heaney and Dane Dunning. I was like, all right, that's going to be the gig. That's what they're going to go with. And they still might because I mean, Andrew Heaney only threw faced the minimum of three batters and Dane Dunning only faced two because he was getting out of an inning. So they could still end up going back to those guys. Heaney threw six hole pitches, Dane Dunning threw nine. So it's not like they're exactly super taxed. But it is them performing in roles they haven't done very often. I mean, Dane Dunning was a long reliever for the first part of this season. And even down the stretch, I believe he did come out of the bullpen at least a time or two. Um, but Heaney, it's pretty much been a starter. So I'm curious as to what this means for what the Rangers are going to do with their alleged bullpen game in game four. 
And it'll probably depend on what happens with Max Scherzer. But I kind of knew this might be the case because both Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly are so good. And the Rangers haven't had really a bad start from Nathan Eovaldi or Jordan Montgomery. And they got bad starts from two of them in the first couple of games, which is, is not what you're looking for. But the Rangers were able to take that one. And that might end up being the difference in this series is the Rangers being able to win at least a game when they're two aces that have been unhittable, absolutely sensational in this postseason, just weren't their best selves. But I, I think the, the game four conundrum at this point, what I would be leaning towards is John Gray. See if he can get you three innings, four innings. We'll see what he looks like then. He did pitch earlier in this series and, and looked much, much better. He was part of the reason that that bullpen held up for as long as they did. He was absolutely sensational out of the pen in game one. Is he going to look like that if he is starting in game four? I don't know. How long can he get you? I don't know. But having him back there, I think, is an important thing for this Rangers team of him looking good. Him outperforming Martin Perez in the playoffs, given the status of their health heading into these playoffs, was not something that I expected. I think that that hip issue for Martin Perez is kind of affecting him. And I would honestly be very surprised if we see Martin Perez again in this series, unless the Rangers are just getting absolutely blown out. I think that's pretty much the only place that we're going to see Martin Perez, unfortunately, for the rest of this series. And this may be his last outing with the Texas Rangers because he is a free agent at the end of the season. And I don't know if the Rangers are going to re-sign him. And if that's the case, and this two-year run back with the Rangers after some time away, if, if it ends with the championship, then I'll be incredibly happy for him. Even if it doesn't, I think a hat tip to him. And for all he did last year to keep the Rangers from having to like call up Jack Leiter at the end of the year just to eat some innings because the rotation was so devastated. I mean, I don't care that he made $19.5 million this year, and you shouldn't either unless you're Ray Davis um, or an, a member of the front office. You, you shouldn't care if he was a little bit less than the Rangers paid for because he was sensational last year. And he came up in big spots this year. I mean, down the stretch in that game 162, he was phenomenal. He met, he did his job and he got the Rangers to the playoffs. Whether he performed well in these playoffs or not, we can maybe go ahead and forget about that and forget about this game because it was an absolute stinker. This Rangers team doesn't stay dead. They don't, they bounce back incredibly well. And I'm expecting them to take this off day, head back to the park in or head to Arizona in game three with their heads held high thinking it's just another game that one stunk we'll go get them next time and for the most part this playoffs they've proven that the next time they almost always do get them that's going to do it for tonight's show thank you all so much who joined me live and for those of you who listen later and until next time don't forget to enjoy texas rangers world series baseball